Welcome to something to wrestle with. Birds, Bridges, Bridges. Well, you know that's not a rib. She booted. She booted. No, you have me. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Scared to shock him. Q Bruce. Ah, no. You take the You take the brain. You know. And then double You know, it's called chicken salad. Double onion. Oh, you're nothing but an egg. Suck it all. Throw your Google machine. Not damn good. What the hell show you got there? I Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I'm just enjoying the hell out of life right now. Everything is uh, pretty damn good and having some fun. How, how in the hell are you doing? Man, that's I'm what everybody doing, wants to know, Conrad. I'm doing great. I've had a great week. Uh, I got invited to be on the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I had no business being there. He normally interviews the big talent, uh, like guys like you and uh, current superstars like Sasha Banks. But he, he reduced himself to a lowly podcaster from Alabama who has no idea what he's doing. But, hey, it was awesome, man. I had a great time. Sam's a cool guy, and uh, we got to talk a lot about the current product. We get lots of requests here on the show. When are you guys going to talk about the current stuff? Well, we did. Uh, so if you'd like to hear us discuss, Sam and I talk about the bullet club or what's going on with the TLC pay-per-view this weekend, cruise on over and be sure to give his show a listen, the Sam Roberts wrestling podcast. And Sam Roberts, without a doubt is the best interview in podcast right now. Sam doesn't ask the traditional questions. No, Sam gets out there, takes different approaches. Uh, I love Sam Roberts and I love his show. So uh, that that's one that, uh, I'll actually listen to Conrad. Well, I'm sure you won't, uh, enjoy my take, but it's still Probably there not. anyway. Anything you want to, uh, catch up on from last week? Because we had, I feel like one of our more underrated shows, we had a string of a few pay-per-view shows and I don't know why, but I'm starting to get a little feedback where people are like, I'm tired of pay-per-view recap shows. Well, we're not just covering the pay-per-view. We're covering the entire company for like a 30-day period. So you get all the news and goings on. And, yes, we do talk about the build for that particular show. But what I think my big takeaway was we learned why there's a booking committee, you know, and, and the real reason and what hurt Vince's feelings and that type of stuff we might not normally have covered. And uh, I thought it was a great show. What was your feedback? 
Well, I thought the show that we did was a lot better than it deserved to be based on the the perceived and I say perceived subject matter that everybody thought we were going to talk about. As you say, we dig in so much more and we talk about so many different things that, yeah, that's the subject matter. That's the time frame that we pick. And, uh, you know, hats off to Conrad Thompson for the research that he does and the way that he approaches some of this stuff. And I just sit back and tell stories. So my part's easy, <laughs> but yes, it was, it, it was crazy. And I always get a chuckle out of people that will say just what you said. Why are you guys doing the events, man? We want, we want more of this. And then in the same breath, in the very next tweet or the very next comment, when are you guys going to do Survivor Series 25th anniversary? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, we're doing our best for you guys, but the only way to really let us know what you want to hear is to do a poll. And I do encourage you to not vote on a topic based on, you know, just what you see at a glance, because I get that No Mercy 1999 might have been a fairly forgettable pay-per-view to you. But as a reminder, we talked about the time the WWE ran the Georgia Dome the first time, the Big Show's funeral, don't I mean the Big Show's father's funeral, the dog crap angle, Jarrett walking out, you know, all kinds of silliness of, about who replaced Vince Russo, why the whole strategy for the booking community was changed, maybe the most hilarious Bob Holly story we'll ever tell, all the rumor and in endo about fabulous Moolah. Uh, so there's lots of stuff that you never really thought you were going to see in a show like this, but it's there. And so we get questions. Hey, when are you going to cover this? Hey, we already did. It's just not titled that. I can't put all that in the title of the podcast. So we just called it that pay-per-view. But if it happened around that time, it's probably in that show. But hey, listen, I want to give you what you want. So you guys wanted more profiles. We're going to do it, and instead of telling you what the poll is at the end of the show, let's do it right now, Bruce. How's that? Well, now now we're breaking rules again, Conrad. Remember how they told us about how we're not supposed to do this, and we're not supposed to do that, and we shouldn't go more than an hour? Now you're doing polls at the top of the show. Well, here's the thing. Who gives a shit, right? We want There you go. It's our show. Here. At this point, you know, we're setting the pace. And I, I've picked this week's poll, and it's all personality profiles. Bruce, are you ready? As ready as I'm going to get, man. Poll topic number one. We've never covered it. Not in great detail. Bret Hart and his run in 1993 and 1994. That's about uh, where things start to elevate Bret to the main event. Of course, he won the world title in 1992. So we're going to cover that title switch. Uh, and then we're going to get cooking on Brett's 93 and 94. What might we talk about if we cover Bret Hart in 93 and 94, Bruce? Well, obviously, we're going to talk about why the decision was even made to go with Brett at that time and to put the championship on Brett. So talk about that machinations, which will get us a little bit into 1992, but also the transition and what Brett became and the philosophy behind how we looked at booking Bret Hart during that time. Uh, a lot of different opponents, and we tried to take a different approach, but at the same time tried to get everybody with their uh, line of thinking in line with Bret Hart. So there you go. We're going to talk about Bret Hart's first world title win. It went down in October of 92. Bruce was there for that. So we'll cover that, and then we'll cover all of his 93 and 94. Poll topic number two, The Rock. Rocky Maivia's 1997 and 1998. 
Of course, he debuted a Survivor Series in 96, so we'll cover the last two months of 96, but then we'll go through the entire 1997, including Die, Rock, Die, joining the Nation of Domination, how he starts to emerge there, uh, the feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin, throwing the Intercontinental title belt off of the bridge, and then, of course, 1998, towards the end of the year, we see The Rock at Survivor Series 98 with the world title. Lots to cover for Rock's 97-98. Wouldn't you agree, Bruce? Absolutely, and it's a perfect example of when people say, oh, well, you guys tied a rocket to his ass and and shot him off and it was all you. The Rock, Triple H, guys like that, this would be a perfect example of someone who could not be denied due to their talent, who went out every single night and performed and took their destiny into their own hands. And The Rock is a perfect example, one of the biggest stars, not just superstars in wrestling and WWE, one of the biggest stars, entertainment stars of all time. Uh, Third up, uh, poll option number three, Shawn Michaels, 1995 and 1996. Uh, this is where you start to see Shawn Michaels become a bona fide superstar as he heads to that main event status. He had a couple of really impressive Royal Rumble matches. And then, of course, we all know in WrestleMania 12 in 1996, he became the world champion when he realized the boyhood dream had come true for the very first time. And uh, the rest of 96 is really catered around making him the man. So we'll have lots of fun covering Shawn Michaels, 1995 and 1996. What else might we talk about, Bruce? The -the behind-the-scenes machinations that got us there. And what was supposed to happen with the whole Bret Hart-Shawn Michaels issue, the, the, the personal issue and the angle that was supposed to take place going on after WrestleMania 12, moving on into WrestleMania 13. And just Shawn Michaels is one of the greatest performers ever in the wrestling business. If there was one guy that I, you know, I can only watch one wrestler, I'd probably pick Shawn Michaels. I think he's one of the greatest of all time. But this was an important year in the making of the Heartbreak Kid where he became Mr. WrestleMania. Last but certainly not least, I can't believe we've never really talked about this guy in great detail. Diesel in the World Wrestling Federation will cover his entire run. Uh, of course, when he comes in all the way to the jump to WCW, there's been lots of talk about Diesel, lots of rumor and innuendo. What was the original plan for him? What did Vince see in him? What was the original idea? When was the decision made to make him world champion? And... There is a rumor out there, there's a narrative that he's the worst drawing champion in history. Is that accurate? And is it fair to Diesel? We'll break that down and more. What else might we talk about, Diesel? Uh, if we talk about Diesel? Well, obviously, we're going to talk about who wanted to bring him in and why. We'll talk about his, quote, weak chin and just all things Diesel. I, I'm, look, usually you say to me, hey, who's going to win? What's going to win the poll this week? I can't tell you. Yeah, This is probably going to be the tightest uh, poll that we have maybe ever done. So the reason we're, we're doing the poll here at the top of the show is, uh, or one of the reasons, is because we are going to have to tape this a little earlier than we normally do. I'm going to be out of town, so I need to get cracking on my research. So we're going to take the poll down early. So the poll is going to be done and finished um, Monday afternoon before Raw. So you need to vote before Raw. Get the word out. 
Tell your friends the only place to vote is Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. But by the time Raw starts, it's over. Normally we let this thing roll on in Tuesday and sometimes Wednesday morning. We don't have that luxury here because I've got travel lined up. Uh, but this is going to be one of the biggest polls of all time. Let's recap. Poll option number one, Bret Hart's first world title win uh, through the end of 1994. Poll topic number two, The Rock's debut from 1996 all the way through the end of 1998. Of course, that's going to also include his first world title one. We've also got Shawn Michaels. He's going to be in there for all of 96, all of 95 and 96. Again, it includes his first world title run. And then last but certainly not least, Diesel, his entire WWF run. Now, that's separate from Kevin Nash and the NWO. That's available in the archives. But we're going to cover the Diesel character. And, yes, as a footnote, we will mention Glenn Jacobs portraying Diesel. Uh, but we probably won't spend a lot of time on that. This is like, the, yeah, I think this is the biggest poll that we have ever done and probably going to be the closest. And all of these are great subject matters, kind of like the great subject matter that you can get. When you come see us live and Houston is taking off our next live show, November the 19th survivor series day in Houston at the house of blues box of gimmicks.com. Conrad Thompson is going to be live in Houston, Texas. What kind of damage are you going to do in Houston on November the 19th when you get tickets over at box of gimmicks and uh, see us at house of blues? Well, I'm pretty fired up about it. You know, I had to miss the Detroit show for work reasons and, uh, it feels like I missed a lot and I'm not going to do that two shows in a row. Uh, we've got some fun stuff planned for you. I've, I've been writing down crazy ideas for weeks now. You can pick up your tickets at boxofgimmicks.com. They're still on sale, and uh, we're going to make a spectacle of ourselves. Cruise on over to boxofgimmicks.com and pick up those tickets, and be sure to tell your friends to vote in this poll. And don't forget, we're still running a like contest. We're like more than two-thirds of the way there to a bonus show. It's free. Go like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle, and tell us, what do you want, man? Do you want Bret Hart? Do you want The Rock? Do you want Shawn Michaels? Do you want Diesel? You're getting it next week. He's really here for what happened when Matt Bourne became doink in the World Wrestling Federation. One of our more controversial polls. It feels like this dude has been up like a half a dozen times before he finally eked out the win. I've got to think that the popularity of the horror movie, it maybe played a hand in this because it didn't seem so silly that there was a big, scary clown. Were you surprised that uh, Doink finally won the poll? It was like our audience did a 180 for us this time. Uh, it's great, too. Um, I'm surprised, but I'm happy as well because Doink the Clown is one of the greatest characters ever to participate in the WWF, and I thought that he was positively um, – you look at, you always say, you look at guys and you look at talent as if they could headline WrestleMania. Right. Um, Matt Bourne could headline WrestleMania. I, I would often chuckle and we, we actually talked about this at times, you know, not with anybody in particular, but could you imagine Doink in the main event at WrestleMania and make it a circus big top feel for WrestleMania and have the whole thing be almost like a circus theme? Yeah, I just a, thought that would be great. It sounds ridiculous, but the the visual of WrestleMania 9 
was pretty fun. So I could get behind the idea that, you know, that, that might've, that might've worked. I mean, Vince loves a big spectacle. You see just the, the sheer size of the WrestleMania sets these days. Uh, it, it, it would have been something to, to see for sure. Yeah. And, and Doink definitely could have pulled it off. And I think that he could have been, um, everybody's champion. I, I, whether he was in the role of a baby face or a heel, I, I think that when he was in the ring, he was the best wrestler in the ring and the, wow. the best damn, I, I, he just was so good. I, it was the best character Matt Bourne ever did. It's hard to believe, but the character debuted nearly 25 years ago. He comes into the company in January of 1993. And, uh, of course, Doink's real name is Matt Osborne, but he's wrestling under the name as Matt Bourne. And so most of us know him as Matt Bourne. And he started wrestling 15 years prior to that, roughly, making his debut in uh, 1978. And this is, of course, back during the, the hotbed of territorial wrestling. Uh, so Bourne is wrestling in a lot of these different territories and has success all over. Uh, but one of his first big pieces of success comes when he wins the Mid-Atlantic Tag Team titles uh, in 1980. Uh, and, if, and I think most people listening to this probably know that Bourne spent most of his time in the Pacific Northwest. And up there, he was their heavyweight champion. And um, he wrestled with guys like uh, Ted DiBiase, Jim Duggan, uh, and they became the Rat Pack. That was the name of the gimmick. Uh, and he actually debuted for the WWF about eight years prior to ever coming in as Doink. Uh, back in 85, he worked in the Boston Garden where he wrestled Rick McGraw to a time limit draw. And uh, the highlight of that early run is WrestleMania 1. I think a lot of people overlooked that, but he lost to Ricky Steamboat there. Uh, in the initial WrestleMania. And I think a lot of people have maybe kind of lost that uh, in history. When did you first meet Matt Bourne? It, it feels like you would have crossed paths with him a few times in the territories. I know that he worked a, a little while in world-class championship wrestling, and he was managed there by Percy. Would you have met him in Texas, or where did you first meet Matt? I first got to meet Matt when he came through. He came through uh, originally for Southwest Championship Wrestling in like 1981, 82, somewhere in that time frame. And then he went from there to Mid-South. But I met him the first time. He had uh, the, the bleach blonde hair and the beard, uh, was teaming, was doing a team with Arn Anderson in Georgia Championship Wrestling. And then he came in to Southwest. Uh, Matt's a second generation wrestler. His dad, tough Tony Bourne was one of the legends. When they talk about old time, tough guys, just real tough guys, Tony Bourne's name would always come up. And especially in Texas, because there was tough Tony Bourne and a guy by the name of Irish Danny McShane that had a great rivalry that uh, culminated with Tony Bourne's manager having to wash a jackass, a donkey, in the middle of the ring if they lost the match. And Matt came from that era, and Matt was taught to be, you know, he was a tough guy, and he was taught to be believable and tough inside the ring. So he always carried that on throughout the years. But he came in uh, for San Antonio, went to Mid-South, and formed the Rat Pack with DiBiase and uh Jim Duggan. 
Well, I'll tell you what. It, um, it's quite an interesting change from the way guys come into the company now versus the way they used to because in these days it was pretty common for them to have extended runs in different territories and independent wrestling while it is still on the rise you know ring of honor is probably having their best year ever this year it's just not the same do you think that overall helps the business or hurts the business do guys have different opportunities to kind of because now you know because of the internet even though these territories exist you can kind of keep up with everybody everywhere but that was a lot more difficult back then was it not yeah, you didn't have the internet. You didn't have the kind of television distribution that they have now. You didn't have access to the information. For the most part, the only way you would get your information, if you could get them, were the magazines that were on the newsstands. Right. The after. So that's how you kept in in contact with what was going on elsewhere. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. It's uh, it's just interesting to me because it feels like guys could get lots of different chances. You know, he he could be with Percy in world class, and he could be at WrestleMania with Ricky Steamboat, and he could be with DiBiase and Duggan and the Pacific Northwest. But he could tag with Buzz Sawyer in the Mid Atlantic Territory, and and never shall these two paths ever meet. You know, so he could be different characters or different incarnations and kind of reinvent himself. And that's a little more challenging these days. So he got to take chances early on. You know, we, we mentioned Buzz Sawyer there briefly. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Buzz on this show before, but there's rumor and innuendo out there that uh, The Undertaker didn't have the best experience with Buzz Sawyer. Have you heard that before? I, I heard that they had uh, a match, and I think it, I want to say it was in Dallas maybe, where Buzz took some liberties with a very young and very green uh, Punisher, Mark Calloway, and that uh, The Undertaker didn't appreciate it too much. Well, the word I got was that Buzz apparently ripped him off um, for training, and so maybe Mark Calloway had paid a bunch of loot, and then Buzz just skipped town on him or something like that. Buzz had that reputation. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I do. I do know that on TV at one point, you know, at a very young, young age, that there wasn't a lot of love lost there. So we talked about world class. Uh, Bourne had quite a run in world class. He won the Texas heavyweight title. Uh, he he would do pretty much everything there. Uh, he won the USWA tag team titles twice, both times with Jeff Jarrett. What a small world it is. Uh, he he would win the uh, USWA Texas heavyweight belt by defeating Kerry Von Erich. 
and he even had some matches and some uh, uh, some tag matches with and against the Dingo Warrior, who would go on to become the Ultimate Warrior. But then he gets his call up to the big time, I guess. In 1991, he joins WCW, where he wrestles as Big Josh. How would you describe the Big Josh gimmick, Bruce? <laughs> Is a goofy lumberjack. Yeah. I think that they were they were trying to create their own version of uh hacksaw jim duggan i don't know what the hell they were trying to create they, there were so many different incarnations of lumberjack characters through the years and they were trying to create big josh big friendly josh from the pacific northwest probably because matt came from oregon and everybody knows that there's nothing but guys in uh, flannel shirts and capri pants capri jeans in oregon walking around cutting down trees but Hey, you know, I got my fair share of crappy gimmicks. So Josh would wrestle in uh jean shorts and a flannel shirt. He's coming to the ring carrying an axe handle. He's doing some sort of a lumberjack outdoorsman mountain man type of gimmick. And he has, I guess, moderate success there. He wins the United States tag team titles with Ron Simmons and the six man tag team titles with Dustin Rhodes and the Z man. But he leaves in WCW in 1992. Uh, and on September 21st, he would uh, debut for the World Wrestling Federation as himself in Manitoba, Canada, uh, defeating Bill Jordan. So do you recall how, I know you weren't there for all of this run, but were you there when these conversations first start coming up about, hey, we should bring Matt Bourne in? Well, okay, and, and just to clear clear some things up, because I know someone had, had posted this on Twitter. Well, the time frame doesn't work out for Mike Hegstrand to be the one to come up with Doink the Clown and blah, 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 blah. Folks, sometimes people come up with ideas year, two years before they ever actually come to fruition. And you can always draw back on them and go, hey, remember so-and-so said this or remember this, and it actually finally comes to fruition. It isn't uh, something where we're going to make them a clown and automatically the clown circus thing just starts shooting out clown gimmicks. The Mike Hegstrand looking at, Matt Bourne saw him as Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons. Uh, Matt had been sitting there and, and he had a cigarette dangling out of his mouth. I, the picture was just perfect uh, and had his boots halfway unlaced and was sitting in a chair. Matt kind of had a belly and Matt could be a miserable prick. So after the match, he's all sweaty. He's, he's kind of balding a little bit. His hair's all hanging down in his face and he's got the cigarette dangling out. And Mike Hegstrand just looks at him and goes, doink the clown. And that was all that I could ever see going forward of Matt Bourne. He was, or not doink the clown, Krusty the clown. All I could see when I looked at Matt was Krusty the clown. So when Big Josh had his run, he was done. He was looking for something. We brought him in as Matt Bourne. And I remember, and Vince had remembered the whole Krusty the Clown thing. Vince didn't know who the hell Krusty the Clown was. Well, I, I know a lot of our listeners may not know that either. It feels weird to say since that's been such a popular show for so long. But explain who Krusty the Clown is. Krusty the Clown is the clown on the Simpsons animated show on Fox. 
and Krusty has a, a show. He's a crazy clown. He's, you know, always smoking and drinking and, and kind of a miserable clown. Um, you got the Krusty Burgers. He has his own uh, burger chain, so on and so forth. But he's a miserable clown, just a miserable clown. And people either love clowns or they hate clowns. And you can always think of someone that hides behind the makeup of a clown. You know, for the most part, they're painting on a happy face because underneath the paint is a miserable person. (laughs) And this was an opportunity to take Matt Bourne and take his personality. He was extremely funny. He was quick-witted, but very mean-spirited. And just take that personality, transform it into a character that uh, is not Matt Bourne because Matt can be a little bit dry and put some paint on his face. And all of a sudden, doink, the clown is born. So it all comes from an original suggestion from Hawk. Who who brings that? Who realizes this is the, the guy we need and the time we need? Do you remember those early conversations? The well, Matt had finished up his run in WCW. He he didn't want to go back there. He came up. We were in upstate New York or uh, Canada, somewhere up there. I, I want to say that we were actually in Buffalo, but I just remember him being in the dressing room. He came up for a quote tryout, see how he looked, and see how he was moving in the ring. He wanted to do it as Matt Bourne, and Pat and I reminded Vince of the Krusty the Clown deal. And again, you know, just had to go clown, evil clown, Vince. And we got, there was a movie out and it was evil clowns from outer space. Mm-hmm. I think that was the, actually the name. I think it's called killer, killer clowns. clowns. Yeah. Yeah. Killer clowns from outer space where these clowns come down in their heels in the movie. It's from uh, 1988 is when it was released. Right. So we got Vince the movie to show him this is what a bad clown looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, got him, obviously, made him watch The Simpsons, made him watch Krusty. And Vince embraced it. Vince thought it was hilarious. Vince thought that it would be a great character or something that every everybody, everybody can identify with clown. Like I said, you either love him or hate him. So uh, who's who's all involved in pitching Vince on this and showing him the material? Originally, it was all me and Pat, Okay. and we're originally the ones that brought it to him, and then we had Creative Creative Services is the one that came up with the outfit and came up with the drawing for the clown clown face and all that. Well, did you guys um, discuss any sort of potential names, you and Pat and Vince? We probably did, and I couldn't even tell you how Doink came up. I I know Vince is the one who ultimately decided on it. I did not come up with Doink the Clown. It was it was the best of my recollection. You know the the big hammer that he had yeah. in the beginning? Okay. I think that the art department had drawn the hammer and they put like sound effects, you know, doink and bong and bing and all that stuff on you know around the hammer. And I think that's that Vince kind of gravitated to. That's his name, Doink. Kind of like Dave, Dave, Dave. It's a sound he makes when he walks down. He's doink. He ain't, Dave, you know, Michael Hayes had been wanting to come in at the time. Who knows? He might have been named Dave, Dave, Dave. Vince has some sort of weird 
I mean, maybe he doesn't, but I, he has a, a giant oversized, silly hammer like this in his office with the old school WWF logo on it. I mean, you've never talked about that. Do you know where that came from or what it was about? The, the hammer was a gift that somebody gave to him. You know, that was the hammer competition and it's a big wooden, like the yeah. hammers that they use at strong, carnivals. Yeah. So you, you do the strongman deal and you see how far up it goes. Right. Yeah. And someone, uh, someone gave that to him. Um, might've even been Linda, but somebody gave it to him. It's, it's a pretty nice wooden one with the WWF logo on it. Well, I just found it interesting because, you know, the, the doink one is almost like a cartoon version of it. it it's just oversized silliness. Uh, and it makes sense that it would be there. Do you, when you were first coming up with the gimmick and talking about the character, when did you guys decide on like the mood of the music? and the facials and the silly gags, like the, the flower that squirts water. Did you guys have any of those? Like how early on was that an idea? Was it once you had Matt Bourne and you had the outfit and you were just trying things or did you know right away, Oh, we could do this gag and he should behave like this. When do you lay all that out? Is, is you go along and you start talking about what ifs and, and all these things, Pat Patterson as a child, ran away from home to join the circus. Really? Yes. Pat Patterson always wanted to be in the circus. He always wanted to be on the trapeze and, and that kind of thing. Pat always wanted to be in the circus. He loved the circus. So Pat had this fascination, you know, with, with the clowns and the two of us together. And then you throw Vince in that mix. Who's childlike as well. And you start talking about, what is a miserable, what is an evil clown? Right. And we're all doing the music. And then we have Jim Johnston there and we're telling him what the music is, but it's not happy. He's evil. You look at him and the first thing that you see is happiness and joy, joy. He's a clown and he's got balloons and he's going to be nice to the kids. And then he turns evil. And the things that we would come up with is, is instead of bringing joy to kids, he would make kids cry <laughs> and they would be all happy to, Oh, Hey, it's the clown. It's the clown. And then he go, Hey, you want to smell my flower? And boom, squirt him in the eye. Oh, you like my hammer? Bam, hit him on the head. Oh, here you go first, trip him and push him down. Those, those were the ideas that we were coming up with just to be able to portray that this isn't your ordinary Ringling Brothers clown. It's going to make kids smile. And we would put him up in the crowd and we would have him do stuff. And then you would see the look on his face where he would be happy and joy, joy. And then it would just go. And you would see him turn into evil doink. Let's talk about, you know, when you guys knew that Matt Bourne was the guy. Did you have the character kind of mapped out first, uh, you know, and, and you're looking for who could portray it? Or when you know Matt has interest, are you guys just sitting around trying to think of, hey, what could we put on him? And then somebody brings up, oh, what about that clown thing? It was, it was Matt Bourne looking for a job and Vince not knowing what to do with Matt Bourne and revisiting the idea and the comment made by uh, Mike Eggstrand, he's Krusty the Clown. Let's make him an evil clown. There you go. Let's paint his face up. Chat me up about um, if he hadn't been doing, who do you think 
would have been considered. And I know that that's really difficult to pin down, especially based on the way you say it just laid out. But if you knew you kind of had this idea for a clown, could you fancy a guess as to who else might have been in line to get it? Well, again, we didn't have an idea for a clown. It was Matt Bourne looked like a miserable clown. So it was more an idea for Matt than it was somebody to fit a clown gimmick. We we really didn't have the clown gimmick. Clown gimmick came up from Matt's personality and trying to come up with something for Matt Bourne. So who reaches out to Matt to come in? Who had a relationship with him? Does he just call the office? Or, yeah. Or, so he I mean, he worked through. there before, and that was the norm. So you call the office, and you in those days it was probably easier to get Vince on the phone, or would he have tried to talk to you or um, Jr. or who would that have been? No. JR wasn't even there at the time. Um, I believe that he called looking for Pat Patterson or myself. And then Pat and I got him up to TV and the rest, as they say, is history. We saw Matt and trying to think of things to do. So a much different process in those days. Guys would come in and we would bring them to TV and have them work a match to see how they look, make sure they're in shape, make sure that they're what we're looking for and it didn't matter who it was um vince would then talk to him say what do you want to do you know you want to come in what you got any ideas and and start talking to him about different things uh some guys we would go out and, and look for and and try and pursue but matt was somebody that was looking for a job had finished up with wcw and came in wanting to work for us and did his, did his match in upstate New York or wherever the hell it was. And Vince said, I see a clown. Mm-hmm. So when he does this match, you know, there's lots of talk out there that Vince wants to kind of see what your attitude's like. So when he's trying to get out like this, would the rule of thumb be that he's going to lose his first match in just to see how he reacts to it? Not necessarily. It would depend upon the talent a lot of times and where, you know, whether it was the first, first match on the card. And if they had somebody that the was a WWF guy that people knew, it all depended. It wasn't a, let's make them lose. No, right. that, that wasn't the norm. Chat me up. Do you remember a situation where there was a guy who Vince maybe had some concerns about what his attitude might be? And he thought, let's just see on the first one. Do you remember a particular performer where that was the theory? Let's just try it out. Dusty Piper. Okay. So there you go. Um, so eventually he shows up on raw, uh, January 11th, 1993. And he's shown ringside messing with fans where how many of these were plants relative to just real fans? Is, is there some sort of, that hey we can't have this go wrong so we need to get the right reaction let's bring in some kid actors or some kids from the office or are we just freestyling and doing it live with real kids in the crowd doing it live with real kids in the crowd and hoping for the right reaction we this was long before everything was scripted to the point where we had to have actors and things of that nature and we were out there without a net shooting a lot of stuff now you didn't get to see all of it you know some of it wasn't that good but the stuff that was good 
when you would get the right reaction, but there's nothing better than a true reaction from a true fan. Right. So we, we had Matt up there <laughs> with, uh, with Rene Goulet. Rene Goulet, Sergeant, uh, Rene Goulet was one of the backstage agent producers and long time, uh, great wrestler lives in North Carolina now. But Rene, Rene was French Canadian and he had an accent and he talked kind of like Pat, but all of the producers had, uh, radios, you know, like walkie talkies. So that's how they would communicate. And we would have Renee up in the crowd with Doink and we would say, okay, Renee, get ready. We're going to be coming to Doink here. When you hear the music, have Doink get into position and, and do something with somebody. And Renee would get in there and Renee would tell Doink, okay, go over here to this group of kids and do this. And the, the best thing that came out of Doink, one of the things was Doink goes into a group of kids and he's doing his stuff. Well, the kids basically kind of tackle Doink and Doink falls and Doink is going down the steps falling and the camera is looking for Doink and all I can hear on the radio and, and everybody hears it because everybody's got the radios on is the clown is down. The clown is down. The clown is down. <laughs> and we use that to this, to this day, you probably walk up to Vince McMahon and go, the clown is down. And he'll burst out laughing, thinking of Renee Goulet and doing the clown. Uh, are you down with the clown? Whoop, whoop. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. I don't even know what you just said. So we never really, we talked about kind of how the character came about. And I know that Matt was looking for a job. What was his reaction when you guys pitch the Doink character to him? Because obviously he had been portrayed two ways, a legitimate badass wrestler with the rat pack. And then this goofy, Hey, I'm carrying a bear to the ring. Big Josh. Now he's a, a clown. Your reaction, I mean, do, do you recall the reaction from, from Matt Bourne when you guys first pitch him on this? Who who brings up the idea, and how does he take it? Vince brought up the idea 100%, and, I talk, of course, Pat and I both talked to, to Matt after his initial meeting with Vince. I think in the beginning that Matt was unsure about being a clown. He, he was, man, I'm a second-generation wrestler. I'm a wrestler's wrestler. You know, I'm, 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 I'm not a clown. And it took, it took a little convincing 
to sell him on, we want you to be a wrestler's wrestler. We want you to be the best wrestler's wrestler in clown makeup. Because we want this to be the exact just opposite of what people expect this to be kind of a goofy gimmick. But when the bell rings, you are a sadistic, mean, absolute, just villainous bastard in the ring. And a big smile came across his face. And he says, I can do that. He thought he was going to be a cartoon. Right. But he he got the point of getting people off guard with makeup and with his outside appearance just to beat the crap out of him in the ring and torture him in the ring. Right. He liked that. Do you think that this time that people started to think about the merchandising opportunity that existed, because it feels like a doink, the clown character is going to have, you know, to use the old school wrestling term, he could have a full gimmick table of different shit to sell fans. Would you agree with that? You would think so, but it, at that time, heels don't sell. Okay. God, why would you have heel stuff? And there wasn't even talk yet about him ever being a baby face. Okay. Um, so let's talk about some of the different pranks that were being pulled. This feels like something that will come up in a meeting, you know, well, what can we have him do? It's going to mess with the crowd. What's he going to do? Do you remember any of those conversations and how they came to be? They would be open up just like that in a production meeting and, and guys would raise their hands for just different practical jokes to do. And, and the big one was the, the water where you would have the flower and you'd squirt them from somewhere else. And, and just being mean to kids, pies in people's faces. Um, he had a, he had a, actually had a squirting nose at one point. Only had one shot at it, but you know, he had a little squirting nose. Uh, tripping children, uh, pulling their hair, the, the old tap, tap them on the shoulder, just, just dickish bully. You know, this was a bully clown that was there to bring joy, but he really wanted to make kids cry and make them sad. And, uh, I think he did like a whoopee cushion thing. Tell us about the, the finishing maneuver. Is that something you guys lay out in a meeting with him or where does the, the finish come from? That was Matt Bourne's finish. He used to call it bombs away. And it was a finish that his father used to use many, many years ago when not a lot of people came off of the ropes and his dad, tough Tony Bourne did this finish. And that was something that Matt had done since day one in the business. And he called it bombs away. So he wanted to continue to use that finish. Well, what better name than the whoopee cushion? Right. I think Pat came up with the name. And I bet he'd be on the, the whoopee cushion. And when he hits it, it's a big fart. <laughs> on the guy right on his chest. So the first big angle that we see Doink involved in uh, goes down on Raw. It's uh, in January, and Doink is messing with fans at ringside. And Crush comes down to confront him. And, of course, this isn't Demolition Crush. This is the Hawaiian Crush. Uh, the orange version of Crush. Uh, and he comes Shakabra. down. There you go. Uh, and he attacks, uh, or Doink attacks him with a prosthetic arm. And Crush does a 
stretcher job to sell the attack. So crush is a, is a, is a big dude and he's been with the company for a while now. He's trying to get over in a new character, certainly a departure from the demolition character he had success with. We've talked about how Matt felt about it. What did, what did a guy like crush think about working with a clown and having to do a stretcher job? Is this something you guys have to explain or sell or see a good soldier and just doing what's asked? Well, first of all, Brian Adams was a great soldier crush and they knew each other. Uh, Brian and Matt knew each other from Portland, from the Pacific Northwest. They had both worked up there. So they were familiar with one another, uh, knew they had chemistry and we were looking for something for crush to be this next big baby face. We're also looking something for something to get the, the clown over. Um, crush was starting to, to get over as a baby face. People liked him. So we thought, well, hell let's, let's put these two together. The, the best part of the crush doink. Now it's not the best part, but it was for me was when we carried crush off in the, in the stretcher, the suggestion came that we're going to have to have him off TV for a while. We don't want him working on TV for a while. So let's go and shoot vignettes that really get this son of a bitch over strong as a baby face. Brian lived in Kona, Hawaii. What better place to shoot vignettes than in Kona, Hawaii? She sold Vince on flying you to Hawaii for a vacation. Wink, wink. <laughs> we were in California. And I said, <laughs> You're so happy I to said, tell this. I said, Vince. I'm halfway there. I'll do this down and dirty. I'll bring one. I'll bring one guy with me, man. I'll, I'll bring uh, Steve, and I cannot remember his name. I've got his picture up here on my wall. Um, but the the idea was, I'll bring Steve. He'll be camera director, sound guy, everything. We'll get the equipment over there, man. We, we'll knock out ten weeks. Worth the vignettes. I will get more out of Kona, Hawaii than you could ever possibly imagine. Now it may take me a while. You know, I'll probably have to stay there about, you know, maybe a week, but uh, you got five days, pal. So Steve and I got on a plane, headed over to Kona, Hawaii. And you had with a, crush. a company paid for Hawaiian vacation for five days. Stayed at the, the, the Hilton on Kona. And there are no beaches. There's only in Kona, it's all volcanic rocks. So there are no beaches, but we stayed like right on the water at the Hilton in Kona, ate coconut pancakes every morning and, uh, egg white, uh, crab omelets. It was insane. They had one beach, a black, uh, black sand beach. And you know who Loretta Lynn is? Yeah. The country singer? Yeah. Loretta Lynn has uh, a house on the only beach in Kona. And we got permission to go and shoot on, on that beach. And there's probably other little public beaches where people can go and shit. But this one private beach, there was a, uh, a natural spring that is you're, you're walking along in the dunes in Kona. And if you didn't know it was there, you, you didn't know it was there completely hidden. And Brian's like, Hey, come on, man. We're going to go shoot at this place. And we walk up and I'm like, what are we shooting at? Brian? He says, look down. And there was a, a hole 
and you had to you had to jump down and we had to get a waterproof camera and then there was this oasis in the ground underneath underneath the rocks um we shot on a live volcano we we went uh everywhere just shooting all kinds of crazy stuff with crush and and squeezing the coconut and crushing the coconut in his hand on the beach but everywhere we went Brian Adams was like a god. Wow. It, it was the reaction to him walking the streets of Kona. Was, it was a mob scene everywhere we went. And I'm thinking, holy cow, you know, we've, we've got a baby face on our hands. Didn't necessarily translate to the other 49 states, but um, in Hawaii, that some bitch walked on water. So let's catch up with Dave Meltzer. He wrote in the January 4th, 93 Observer, quote, I'm not making this up. Doink will be headlining many shows late February against Bret Hart for the title leading up to WrestleMania. So that explains why they will be building TV around him. So it feels like Doink's coming in with a big push right away. When you kind of mentioned Doink earlier as a WrestleMania attraction, was that discussed for his first year, like just a few months in, second year, or was that all just hypothetical what if? No, that was all hypothetical what if, but the fact of him being able to work with a guy like Brett as the world champion was definitely discussed because the matches were great. They would be great. They were great, and you take two great technicians like that, and Doink adds the color to that rivalry. And I thought they were tremendous together. Uh, yeah. And here's the deal too. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people, uh, kind of forget what the business was like back then, but you needed somebody who was easy to boo on the house shows for Brett to work with and someone who could put on good matches. So while it may sound crazy, that this doink character is debuting with a big push. When you look at those kind of qualifications, it makes sense. Sure. And the, I'll tell you what happened kind of early on. We had, we had agents, we had producers that would run the live events. So you had different agents, uh, running different shows and every morning or evening, whatever it would be, you would get a report and we all had fax machines. We would wait for that fax to come through first thing in the morning and it would detail the previous night shows. Every single match was detailed how it was, you know, what kind of reaction the guys got, how the match was, did the, did they buy the finish, anything unique happened. And myself, Pat and Vince would get these things first thing in the morning and Howard Finkel would, uh, type them all up for us, but the agents used to call in on a line and they would dictate for lack of a better term, exactly how the show was. They just would leave a message, a long message on this tape deal. And, and for a while we had girls in the office that would transcribe it, but Howard would actually transcribe it and, um, translate it because sometimes he would understand what they're saying where the girls would put it literally yeah. and it would make sense. Right. So we, wait, you know what? We, I don't know when we'll do this again. Recreate that for us. Recreate what? The, Hypothetically speaking, 
she's listening to the message and she's going to write it down. Break out your, because I'm, I'm sure you're going to well, try to do it anyway, your ditzy uh, receptionist who doesn't really understand the crazy insider jargon of professional wrestling. Well, you would, we'll see. The problem was, is you would have someone like Chief J Strongbow. Strongbow had nicknames for everyone. So, uh, and plus, Strongbow stuttered. So you would have something like, well, well, well in, 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 the, in the last match, uh, Stu, Stu got in there with, uh, that fucking clown and the, and the fucking clown did his thing and Stu did the wrap around the little leggy thing on him and, and popped him. And yeah, it, it was a big pop and, and it, was, yeah, it was a great match. I love Stu translated Bret Hart faced doing Bret beat him with his finish and the crowd popped. <laughs> but the girl would run the girl out. the girl would be woo 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 <laughs> Stu put the leggy thing on the fucking clown. fucking clown and i'm like you know what the fuck uh i used to <laughs> this is terrible i used to have to I, I kid you not there was this one young lady very very sweet lady very nice lady um, she was, a, she was a young lady. She was a girl, but, uh, I, I used to, I'll change her name here for, uh, Just purposes go. not no, to protect. I, I, we know you feel bad. Now barrier go. Okay. Now barrier. But I used to have to put on, I'll call her Cinderella. Cause that's kind of what she looked like. I, I would put my Cinderella hat on to, we had a, a directory for all the talent and, you would think that it would be under their stage names and their real names. Right. And that's how it was. It, it was supposed to be, uh, for example, you know, Bret Hart, then it would say real name, Bret Hart and <laughs> have their stuff. Or you would have the doink, the clown real name, Matt Bourne. So where do you think, the Undertaker would be. Would he be under C for Callaway, M for Mark, U for Undertaker? No, he would be under T for The Undertaker. Oh, my gosh. And there would be these times when Vince would get the list out. And he would start going, God damn it, where the hell is, you know, so-and-so. And, uh, and I would have to put my Cinderella hat on to think, the where would oh god let me think of some good there were so many great ones um oh yeah and, and none of them made sense none of them made sense for example if we had conan he would be looking for conan and and you wouldn't find conan under k for conan you wouldn't find him under uh what was the uh, you wouldn't find him under k for k dog you wouldn't find him under D for dog. You wouldn't, you'd probably find him under Ashcroft for his real name, Charles Ashcroft, but it would be, there would be no rhyme or reason. And then the undertaker would be under the, uh, Hulk Hogan. Take a guess. Um, Terry Balea He's under B for Balea. T for Terry. Anything that you would think that could be like, and, and every time it was your last guess. And I used to, I used to sit there and, and sometimes Vince would go, Bruce, where is, 
<laughs> and then I would have to make the call to JJ and say, JJ, she did it again. And then JJ would say, be like, well, where do you want it to be under? What do you, what do you guys want it to be under? You want it under their, their, uh, last names, real last names? Well, no, because Vince doesn't always know their real names. What well, you want to uh, let's put it under their, their stage names. I said, and just be logical about it. And don't use the word, the. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, because then, you know, half your roster's under T. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so let's talk about the music. You mentioned it earlier, but I think that's such a big part of the gimmick. Bobby Heenan, where would he be? Uh, he'd be under B for brain or no, W for stupid. T for the brain. <laughs> God. <laughs> Don't you have a Cinderella hat over there? No. Come on. Um, oh, I, I would put him under T. He's the brain, right? So let's talk about, you know, the, the music from Doink, because you, you touched on it earlier, but I do feel like it's such a big part of the character. How many different incarnations of the song do you think you guys got from Jim Johnson before you realized that's it? Absolutely one. He nailed it the first time. He nailed Well, the funny thing is, we're sitting there and we're telling, we're explaining the character to Jim Johnston. And of course, Pat and I and Vince were all doing the da 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 He goes, and they just got to turn evil. And Jim Johnston sat there and he was like, da 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 And he's playing the piano type stuff with his, with his hands. He nailed it the first time. And when we heard it the very first time, I said, that's it. Um, and Jim didn't always nail it the first time. Most of the time it would take a few go rounds before he'd get it right. But on Doink, one time he got it. Do you remember a time where there were multiple versions from Jim before you felt like he nailed it? Was there a character or a theme in particular that sticks out to you? Oh my gosh. There's so many. I, Lex Luger, um, the, the, I apparently really upset Jim one time when he was doing the first pass of the, I need a hero or whatever the hell that song is that we did for Lex during the, the bus tour. Um, when I, I told him this is when I was meaner. Uh, I told him that was the worst piece of shit I'd ever heard in my life. Oh my God, what's wrong with you? You can't talk to people like that. I know. And that was bad. And I was bad and I admit it, but it was the worst piece of shit I'd ever heard. And then I'd learned to, <laughs> To not say it when it was. Then I learned not to not to actually let the words. It's okay to enter it in your brain, but don't let your brain dictate to your tongue and your mouth to spit that out in public where everybody can hear it. Very bad, Ruthie. Ruthie, don't say "bong in head" what you really think in. So, uh, but there were times that there was a period where everything sounded like Bam Bam Bigelow's theme. I want horns and Vince would do the saxophone horns and shit. I want big Vince always. I want big, I want horns. Um, the nation of domination took a few, a few times, but when Jim got that boy, he got it. Um, there were just a lot of different people. Sometimes it's a feel. And that's the thing about music is you, it has to feel right for the purpose that you're using it. And, I would say that Jim Johnston had about a 90% uh, 
he he could get spot on, man. If he if he saw the talent and he could meet with the talent a little bit, he would get their identity in music. What uh, what do you remember being Vince's favorite theme song? Was there one in particular that Vince was just really into, and like cartoonishly bobbing his head around and moving his shoulders? Or yeah, that's it. God. Yeah, all the ones that sounded like Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me that sword. Ooh, I love that shit. Um, that's why we got so much of it <laughs> after that. Jim saw that, you know, Vince would start dancing to that shit. Well, hey, he likes that. So give me horns, big horns. Now blow that sucker. Um, let's get Vince back. liked his horns. Let's get back to Doink. Uh, Doink worked a, a dark match, uh, beating Jim Powers at Royal Rumble 93. And uh, just a few weeks in, the Observer readers were not a fan of Doink. In the January 20th Observer, it was voted the second worst gimmick in wrestling, number one being Papa Shango. I actually like both of those gimmicks, don't you, Bruce? Absolutely. Who voted worst gimmick? But readers of the Wrestling Observer. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, okay. That pretty much says it all right there. Best, two of the best gimmicks of all time. Uh, in six. In mid to late January, Doink was subbing for the injured Razor Ramon against Mr. Perfect on the house shows, and Doink would usually lose by DQ because Perfect would press a button on the flower on his chest, and then some sort of uh, stuff would fly out into Perfect's eyes. This feels like a Bruce Pritchard idea. Actually, that was a Pat Patterson idea, but 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 hang on, hang on. Let me let me let, let me just digress. Let's go back to the gimmick thing. Hey, I got a gimmick for you. How about I win the belt? And then I just beat everybody. There, there's a gimmick for you. How would that rate in the, the observer rating thing? I, I got to give you a sidebar story here on Doink the Clown. The very first time that, that Doink ever uh, worked, we had somebody that was either out with an injury or, or what have you, and we sent Matt in to replace him. Uh, this was before Matt was ready. We had done the vignettes and everything, but they had all been done uh, either at TV or in the studio and Matt didn't have the face paint and, and all the other stuff. So it was in Houston. As a matter of fact, at the summit, Vince calls chief J Strongbow, who was the agent, uh, producer backstage. And Vince tells him to go and get the, the paint for doing the clown, go get the makeup for doing the clown. And he says, well, 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 Caesar, I, 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 I don't do makeup. I, I don't know what to get. He says, just go, go to a drugstore and ask them, tell them you need some tucks. So well, 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 what tucks? Just go back to the pharmacist and, and just or ask them to so get me some tucks. And Vince is giving him this ridiculous list of things to get. Tucks, red lipstick, bright, bright red lipstick, blue eyeshadow, all these things. And later on that day, which we should have known that chief wasn't going to go and get it done. He would send somebody to do it. He calls us about six o'clock at night. Caesar. These tucks, they're for hemorrhoids. I know what they're for, Chief. God damn it. Um, but yeah, 
chief was going to basically dress doink the clown with tux and we got through it. We got through it. We called Matt, told Matt what really to get. I don't, we sent chief on a, what's a scavenger hunt. I don't have, um, I don't have hemorrhoids. Can you explain to me what tux is? Uh, well, I've never had them either. Apparently they're a soothing pad. It's to wipe your ass and to, to soothe the <laughs> swelling of hemorrhoidal tissues. And they used to have, they used to have a commercial where does your behind feel like this? And it would have a match. And then they would take the tux and put the mat, put the fire out on the match. Tux soothes your hemorrhoidal tissues. Who had the worst hemorrhoids in wrestling? I don't know. Come on. Why would I know this? Well, I mean, you know about people's dongs. Why would you not? Why would the rumor and innuendo? I never looked at their ass. Their dongs hang out when they're walking to the damn shower. I've not, they don't walk around with their butt cheeks spread going, look at these hemorrhoids. God damn. Virgil, 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 how's your hemorrhoids doing today? Let me see. Let me see. Spread them cheeks, boy. Uh, let me, uh, let me see that. damn, that's a nice one there on the left. Let me say that meat sauce, baby. Oh, damn. Um, okay, let's move on. You guys got a little bit of flack in the uh, surprise, surprise, the New York Daily News about the crush angle. Uh, I can't believe that this is what was written, but here it is. On the flip side of credibility, you have the kind of sleaze only the World Wrestling Federation is capable of generating. The toilet bowl Vince Sir Swill McMahon operates has no bottom. On Saturday's show, seen on Channel 5, character Doink the Clown attacked wrestler Crush from behind with a phony plaster cast. With paramedics placing a spine board under Crush's back, McMahon gushed about the possibility of Crush injuring his neck and vertebrae. Now, the reason this is getting so much heat here is... The New York Jets had a football player named Dennis Bird who had just been paralyzed on the football field three months prior, two months prior. And uh, it feels as if, to this writer here, that Vince is exploiting that. Meltzer himself would write, as a wrestling angle, I've seen far worse. But if you actually think about the Bird injury on November 30th, the prominence of it in New York and the fact the angle was shot on December 14th, well, it doesn't say anything about what depths will be used that hasn't already been made clear in the past. Your response to this criticism about Crush being stretchered out so closely to the Dennis Bird injury? Yeah, F. Dave Meltzer and F. The Daily News and New York Post and everybody else. Let me ask you a question. Do you watch American Horror Story? No. Okay, I'm, I watch American Horror Story. It's a great show. And... They they recently did this past week, uh, last week's episode. They opened the show with a graphic that says, due to events recently in Las Vegas, we have edited our opening uh, you know, portions of this show to address the sensitivities of gun violence in America. And they go right from that graphic to a scene of a crowd with a woman with a gun shooting people in the crowd. And, oh, I'm sorry, I left out the best part. I said, if you would like to see the unedited oh, gosh. version of the show, go to fx.com, American Horror Story, and so on and so forth. 
Now, look, I, I get it. Uh, we're all sensitive to things that are going on in the world. It's entertainment. And there was no way that when the producers and the writers and everybody wrote that scene, but however they, many months ago, that they knew that this horrible tragedy would take place. However, this timeline is different. Yeah, and and but then but then they showed a, a part of it. Okay, but but here's my point. This was entertainment. The the whole doink deal. This was entertainment. It's not real. It was to further a story. Okay. Um, right after this, or so it seems, the house show lineups have changed from Bret Hart working with Doink to Bret Hart working with Bam Bam Bigelow. So Bret working with Doink on the house shows doesn't last for more than a month, maybe maybe even less than a month. Was that in response to the criticism, or was it in response to uh, Matt and Bret not having the type of matches you guys wanted? No, it was just simply in response to getting a different heel in there to work with Bret Hart. All right. There was there was no issue with Bret and Doink. Uh, no different than Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels when Steve Austin first came in as the ringmaster. Zero issue. Just wanted a heel to work with Shawn Michaels. During this time, just wanted heels to work with Bret Hart. So we had Bam Bam. We had uh, Doink. There's probably others in there as well, mixed in that with Brett. In the February 22nd Observer, Dave wrote that the local newspaper in Portland ran an item on Doink being Matt Bourne, calling him former high school football player and wrestling star at Milwaukee High. And uh, Dave wrote, I'm told about 75% of the fans in the building knew Doink was born. Bourne's father, Tony Bourne, was a legendary wrestler in that circuit in the 60s and still a name everyone in the city knows. Uh, in Stockton, Doink was cheered in his match with Bob Backlund. Do you recall there being any sort of um, uh, heat with the office about a story like this being run? Because at that time, you didn't really want to draw attention to the fact that these guys were real people. You wanted, you know, kayfabe to be alive, and this is Doink the Clown. It's not Matt Bourne. What's Vince's reaction to a story like this making its way to the paper? Those things are going to happen, especially in your local press where you have a name like that. Um, it, it's just going to happen. You don't like it, but you just have to bite the bullet and move on. And I think that when they draw attention to it, yeah, you're going to get that kind of reaction. But there's not a whole hell of a lot that you can do about it. It's a fact of life. You can sit there and bitch and moan about it and be upset about it. That doesn't do anybody any good. Doink beat Coco Beware on March 1st on Raw, and two weeks later, he beat Kamala by countout. Uh, and in mid to late March, uh, Meltzer wrote that Doink was doing house shows with Tito, Crush, Tatanka, and Randy Savage. Uh, and he says that Doink was cheered like crazy at all the house shows this weekend, which frustrated Tito Santana a lot. Doink throwing the pie at Rob Bartlett on Monday Night Raw turned him completely, at least for now, in the eyes of the fans. Do you recall... Is this pie-throwing situation with Rob, this feels like something Vince would have wanted to happen and not smarten Rob up about. I love it. <laughs> yeah, Rob, I don't think Rob was smartened up. Whose idea? Is that a Vince? Like, oh, that's 100% Vince. Yeah. 100%. Just go out, and, and we would do things with the bucket. Sometimes there'd be confetti. Sometimes there'd be water. No one really ever knew who was going to get it. 
March 22nd, Doink beat uh, Coco Beware on Raw. And now we're here at WrestleMania 9, where Doink is going to make his pay-per-view debut for the World Wrestling Federation against Crush. Uh, and, of course, Doink gets the win in about eight and a half minutes. Meltzer wrote, not much crowd reaction for a grudge, grudge match that has been pushed so hard. Doink did a pile driver early, although they never acknowledged Crush's bad neck from the angle. They traded some decent action with Crush getting his Crush move on once, but Doink made the ropes. The second time, Doink hit the ref and tried to go under the ring, but Crush pulled him out. He goes to put the move on again, um, but no ref. So a second Doink does a run in and hits Crush with the fake arm, and the ref counted the fall. The fans were cheering the finish. The two Doinks were making weird faces at each other, doing a mime bit that was really well done. The second Doink was Steve Kern. Of course, we know him as Skinner, who shaved off his beard in order to play the role. He hit under the ring from uh, the fans before the show and then stayed under uh, until the show was over and all the fans left the building, which explains his disappearance with nobody seeing him. He'll be wearing a fake beard in whatever future Skinner matches he has to work, but it probably won't be that many more since both doinks were together on TV the next day. Star and a half. We covered this on our WrestleMania 9 episode. But it's one of the more iconic moments in the history of Crush, the double doink. I know we talked about it, but touch on it briefly for those who maybe missed WrestleMania 9 in our archives. I think that when you go back and you look at all-time great finishes that people remember, they remember the twin referees from the main event, and I think they remember the double doinks. It was masterfully done. Uh, we're, we're talking about it today, yeah, because we're talking about doink but also because it was so well done and it was probably too well done. And the people appreciated the cleverness of the evil clown doink that, uh, you know, what's, what's to hate about that. It was a, it was a great finish and very well done. Why was Skinner the right guy? I think Steve is the one that brought it to us and might've had the idea, but they had the same body type. Uh, they looked, you know, they, they looked pretty much alike size wise. And when you put the makeup on, he was a great wrestler. And we were thinking in addition to that, if this thing works and takes off, oh my God, we may have two doinks and we might have a tag team here. So was there ever any serious consideration given to it being a tag team? And if so, like a name or uh, the name of a second doink, or were they just both been doink, like doink one, doink two? Doink Uno and Doink Dos. <laughs> um, we considered it. You know, we, we talked about having multiple Doinks. The the issue became it was shortly thereafter in the Manhattan Center that we did we did the multiple Doinks. Right. We had Kern, we had Brawler, um, we had someone else in there as well, and it, it became better thinking that okay. If we only have one doink, you never know how many are going to show up versus trying to do a team. Right. That makes sense. There's rumor and innuendo out there that Curran actually worked his doink on um, a a tour through England after Mania. Meanwhile, the company was running a second show in Scotland, and Matt Bourne would be doink there. Do you remember Curran actually working matches on a show without Matt Bourne as doink during this? I, I Yes, and I, and I do think that, that we did do that a few times, yes. 
Um, was there ever any consideration to putting a, a Doink Hulk Hogan program together? I'm not saying that to be funny. It feels like Doink would have been a perfect heel for a Hulk Hogan. There wasn't any talk about it because Hulk wasn't full time during this period, and it would have been great. Yes, it uh, to me. <laughs> I could just hear, you know, let me tell you something, brother, you evil clown. And just, yeah. you know, Hogan cutting the promos. I, you don't put smiles on kids' faces, brother. You're messing uh, with my little Hulkamaniacs, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I think that some of those could have absolutely been classic. And uh, unfortunately, nope, never got that far. Uh, May 1st, Doink is uh, working to a time limit draw with Mr. Perfect in a King of the Ring qualifier. Uh, a couple of weeks later, they do it again on Wrestling Challenge. Somewhere in here, he actually gets a win over the Kamikaze Kid, who would go on to be known as the One Two Three Kid. And then finally, on May 24th, Mr. Perfect would defeat Doink the Clown to qualify for the King of the Ring tournament. Uh, but then he continues his winning ways again, uh, getting lots of wins on syndication. He does a double count out with Marty Jannetty on June 14th of 1993. And, uh... This is kind of interesting here from the May 3rd Observer. The Raw show was largely built around reader Paul Sanowski of New Jersey asking his girlfriend to marry him, which was a shoot. Uh, he had been trying to set it up for about three weeks, largely with Bruce Pritchard. Heenan was hilarious in his commentary about it during the show. We've never talked about this before, but there was actually an engagement on Raw. How does that come about? Why does he mention me in it? God, I hate when my name's mentioned in that damn thing. Uh, the guy called me. Um, he was a big fan. Went to a lot of the shows. We were always looking for something to do live out of the ordinary, out of the, out of the ring, if you will. And he said, I'd really like to ask my girlfriend to marry me. And we're both big wrestling fans. Is there any way that we could do it on Monday Night Raw? I brought the idea to Vince. He loved it. So next thing you know, will you marry me? And we, oh God, I was, I, I wanted so badly to have her say no. Oh God, you're such a heel. Well, come on. That's, you got to admit, that's great shit. You know, the guy's all nervous and, oh, will you marry me? Yeah, maybe not. I mean, that's I think good that, stuff. I think that's every girl's dream is to get engaged at Raw. Um, well, it was hers. During the, um, the same They're probably Raw. divorced now with fucking, they had to split the cat or something. 100% divorce. Yeah. Crush wrestled Lex Luger, and uh, during the match, both doinks appear on different balconies to distract Crush. I mention this because the King of the Ring 93, Crush is challenging Shawn Michaels with the Intercontinental title, but two doinks come down and distract Crush, which of course allows uh, Shawn Michaels to hit him with the sweet chin music for the pin. Um, and I guess, you know, we should mention that Doink starts off kind of hot working with Brett on the house shows, but now it feels like he's sort of treading water with Crush here. Do you feel like at this point some of the steam by the summer, six months in, is starting to to fade off of the Doink character? Oh, hell no, because Vince saw huge things in Crush, Brian Adams. So that was a major and that was a major angle at that point to be working with Crush. And that's where we started off with them. And at that time, 
uh, issues went a little bit longer than three weeks, having the match three weeks in a row on Raw and then blowing it off and moving on to somebody else. Uh, we got lots of fun matchups here through the summer. Doink beat Bob Backlund on Wrestling Challenge. He uh, lost to Marty Jannetty in a two out of three falls match on the June 21st Raw. Uh, Crush beat him by count out on July 10th. Uh, he defeated Phil Apollo on July 26th which is kind of fun. Uh, August 2nd, we would see Randy Savage defeat Doink. And the, the, the raw prior to that is when Doink challenged Savage. And when he does so, there's three Doinks here to lay out the challenge. One is Born, One's Kern. The third, I assume, is Brawler? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is fun for me. August 8th in Puerto Rico... Johnny Ace defeated Doink number two. Hypothetically, if uh, Johnny Ace had a post-match interview, what might that sound like? Oh, well, you know, Doink was was a tough clown, but I, I was looking at his arms earlier, and they're not nearly as nice and as vascular as Vince McMahon's arms. And if I could ever get up there, I would definitely want to oil those big son of a guns up. But Doink... You're a crafty clown, but you're not crafty enough. Cowabunga, dude. Here's my question. I assume this oh. doink number two is Steve Kern. Um, I probably with it being in Puerto Rico, it was probably Here, uh Jose Otuve. The reason I ask is Steve Kern was cut around the same time as a cost cutting measure. So my question was, do you think Steve Kern, knowing hey Doink's been on TV? I've got the shit. If I just go down there with the Doink character, I can probably get a bigger payday there than I could at Steve Kern. He may have. It, at that time, you know, Doink was a hot character, easy to copy, and who's going to argue? You know, if right. a guy with a similar build goes out with a outfit like Doink, then, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people were doing that. And in Puerto Rico, it, it may have been Steve. I, I really don't know. Uh, most of August, we see Doink putting over one, two, three kid on the house shows. But at SummerSlam 93, it's supposed to be Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler. Lawler comes out on crutches doing the old broken leg gimmick. Uh, and that brings out Doink as his replacement. Doink throws a bucket of confetti on the ringside crowd, but then throws a bucket of water on Bruce Hart, who was ringside with Owen Hart. Uh, and it was said that Bruce didn't know the bucket of water was coming, which seems... Like another hilarious Vince McMahon gang. These guys have, according to Dave Meltzer, a decent match, but that was all. Goes about nine minutes. Hart got Doink in the sharpshooter, and Lawler broke a crutch over his head for the DQ. Meltzer gave it a star and a half. Did Bruce have any idea the water was coming? Did Brett know? Is this a rib? Brett knew. Uh, Bruce probably didn't know. I don't, I don't recall Bruce knowing. And, and again, here in defense, it's, it's, it's harmless, but you're going to get a better reaction if you don't know. If you know that something's coming, right. Then you're ready for it and you're, sure. you're preparing for it and you're thinking about how am I going to react? If you don't know when it happens, you react naturally. How hot was it's the same philosophy why we don't tell commentators a lot of times what's going to happen. How hot? A true was reaction. How hot was Bruce? What was Bruce's reaction? Pretty hot. <laughs> you know, he wanted to get in the ring and 
and fight Doink, but you know, what are you going to do? Uh, Meltzer reports in the September uh, 6th Observer that uh, the taping after SummerSlam featured an apparent Doink face turn tease. Doink would uh, attack Luna, which brought out Bam Bam Bigelow after him, and then Lawler blamed Doink for him losing uh, to Brett at SummerSlam. And the following week, Dave wrote, it was evident from television this weekend that Doink the Clown is going to become a babyface to feud with Jerry Lawler who blamed Doink for losing the match to Bret Hart. Doink threw a bucket of water on Lawler during a King's Court segment, and Doink at the first night of tapings threw a bucket of water on Luna Vachon. Uh, Bigelow went after him, but Doink set up a wire that Bigelow tripped over, and Doink hit Bigelow with a broomstick. So it's kind of an interesting deal here where eight months in, the evil clown we're changing our course on. Why does Vince decide, hey, this isn't working the way I wanted it to. Let's pivot. The audience, listening to the audience, they were loving the doink. And it was just we couldn't fight City Hall anymore. Sure. So kind of gave into it. And instead of doink doing his pranks on people, you know, likable people. On good guys, do it on bad guys. Yeah, just flip the script. It is kind of funny because he's doing all these hijinks that if he was doing them to the baby faces, you, you probably aren't supposed to laugh, but they're funny booby traps. So why not? Right. Right. Exactly. And they were, when he did that, that was the issue. That was the problem. He was doing these kind of pranks and stuff to baby faces and house shows and what have you. And the audience was popping. They were loving him. So let's get to uh, September 27th in the Observer. Three other top-name wrestlers were also removed temporarily from the booking sheets. Matt, Doink the Clown Osborne, Rick, and Scott Steiner. Uh, Osborne, 36, was removed from all house shows for eight weeks. However, he is scheduled to return at that point. His absence will be one of the four that will largely go unnoticed because Steve Lombardi will start taking all of his bookings on September 17th in North Charleston, South Carolina, where he will be wrestling as Doink the Clown. The original Doink the Clown number two, Steve Skinner Kern, is no longer with the company. In addition, since his Doink character was in the midst of a babyface turn, Osborne at press time was still scheduled to portray Doink at all television tapings held during the eight-week period. So chat me up. Why is Doink off the house shows but still working TV? And why eight weeks? This feels like something else. Well, first of all, he didn't work TV. Okay. He came He came in and we had shot a ton of interviews and vignettes and different things in advance. Um, his test came in. Vince had a chat with him and told him that he would not be making the towns. Um, his demons. His demonic demons had reared their ugly head and Matt had been suspended for failing a a drug test. And that's, I think it was his second one, but he had already shot a lot of TV. And then we had him do a lot of promos that could be played as, you know, doink the clown, Matt Bourne. Um, then things changed. It's a weird thing to ask, and I feel like a shit heel for asking. 
what was what was what was Bourne's issue? I don't remember if it was if it was cocaine or steroids or, or marijuana, but uh, Matt had a lot of issues. Matt Matt liked to party, <laughs> you know. Um, no, Matt no, just no, had, no, had a no, lot of issues. He had a lot of drug issues. There was a lot of cocaine use in the eighties. Marijuana has been popular forever and ever. Prescription pills were a problem, but you guys weren't normally suspending people at this point for that, unless it was just way out of whack. Was there ever a time, this seems really weird to ask, but, and I don't want you to name a name if you don't want to, but was there ever a time where things like crystal meth or heroin or major issues in the company or, or specific performers had a challenge with that that you guys thought, holy shit, this is another level? Um, not in my experience, I can't remember, uh, well, I'll take that back now that you jog, yeah, I can remember one guy having an issue with, with meth and, and things like that. There was a, a drug that was very popular in the nineties, early two thousands, maybe, uh, that was called new Bane. It yeah. was a painkiller that guys used to shoot up. That was kind of scary, but whatever the in vogue drug was at the time, it always seemed to rear its ugly head. And for whatever reason, you know, wrestlers seem to in that period, always seem to find them. I know GHB had its run in the wrestling business. Well, just in society in America there for a little while. Was ecstasy ever a thing in the WWF or WWE? I think just kind of recreational. Maybe some guys did. I don't remember it ever being an issue that was out of control or anything like that. Sure. Um, they're hinting at another match here for Survivor Series with Crush and the Head Shrinkers with Bam Bam Bigelow taking on four doings, uh, which could be Randy Savage and men on a mission dressed in doink costumes and another doink. They're trying to come up with a way here to explain the absence, I guess, and have a little fun. That was a rumor. Was there any sort of way that Randy Savage was signing up for that? (laughs) I don't, I, yeah, that, that sounds just like a rumor of somebody of, of Dave Meltzer just having a talent sheet in front of him and going, Oh, I bet they're going to do this with Randy. He'll never do it. Just stirring stuff up. No, we were at this point in time, we were more concerned with what the hell are we going to do with Doink? Is he coming back? Vince had gotten a little disillusioned dealing with Matt Bourne. And in, in this time with the suspension and everything, he wasn't sure whether or not he wanted to bring him back, but he loved the Doink character. Bam Bam Bigelow came to us with a friend of his named Ray Apollo and Ray was similar build, you know, had, had a little bit of the belly. Uh, no one had ever really seen Ray before, but Bam Bam assured us he was a great worker, a great technical wrestler and, and, uh, great guy. He came and talked to us and he was a very jovial guy, really nice guy. And we tried him out as doink. So the decision was made then that we'll continue with the doink character, but we'll have a different person portray doink. Um, 
The Observer on the 11th of October wrote, The Steiners and Matt Bourne work the tapings even though they've been pulled from house shows. Steiners will be back on the road in the final days of October, and the St. Louis Dispatch uh, ran a short on Doink the Clown being suspended and making fun of an apparent WWF policy of allowing wrestlers who are suspended to still wrestle on television, comparing it to the NHL's ludicrous policy last season when players who were suspended had to serve their suspension time only on days when their team didn't have games, which seems ridiculous. But you're saying that this was not actually Matt Bourne, but Doink was there, just it was Ray Apollo. By that time, I know Doink had done... Doink had done promos and Doink had done a lot of stuff beforehand. Uh, I, Doink. Matt Bourne had done stuff as Doink. And then Vince had made the decision to move on without Matt Bourne. November 10th is the Survivor Series showdown. Doink would defeat Bastion Booger. Um, and then on November 12th, it was reported Titan had made either phone calls or sent letters to promoters billing Kern as Doink since it has the trademark on the name. So some promoters are simply billing him as the evil clown. So Steve Kern was out here doing uh, shots in the doink gimmick. Do you recall anybody getting a pass on that? I, I know that at various times the WWE has allowed and sometimes not allowed. Is that just based on what Vince's relationship with that particular talent was? It, it really was based on what what we knew and what they knew and who came forward. There were so many different promotions all over the country, all over the world that were promoting doink because again, you can dress him up in, in a clown outfit and he could go out and it's kind of hard to tell who is, who's behind that, but they would use that trademark when we knew about it, we would go after him. But a lot of times we wouldn't know about it until after the fact. November 15th observer, uh, David Wright, Bam Bam Bigelow has also been pulled from all bookings. His wife is about to give birth any day now. He's been replaced in his matches uh, against Doink the Clown by Brooklyn Brawler, which is ironic since Steve Lombardi had been playing Doink up until that point. No word who is playing Doink, but it may be Phil Apollo. Matt Osborne, who was the original Doink, won't be back and is now taking independent bookings. Um, now, it's come out that Osborne has said that Bigelow tattled on him for smoking weed in the hallway of his hotel. And that's what led to him being fired from the WWF. Catch us up here, Bruce. Is that really the final straw? Did they get a report from the road that he's uh, lighting up in the hallway? I don't remember that, but I do know that Vince had, had gotten tired of dealing with Matt and several of his issues. And again, this this is what I love about the the reporting of Dave Meltzer. Phil Apollo was a guy from uh jersey philadelphia area really really nice guy he had worked in dallas and he had done uh jobs for us uh, up there as well phil apollo was not doink right it's ray it was apollo. ray apollo right and but yet Meltzer, with his half-assed reporting just heard an apollo he knew there was a phil apollo about the same size. He'd never heard of Ray Apollo. He didn't, you know, another case of he had no real clue. He he didn't know. He was just going on rumor and innuendo and had heard the name Apollo. So he assumed and with, you know, probably some guy in the crowd said, hey, that looks like Phil Apollo. Um, it was always Ray Apollo it was never Phil Apollo. Do you think anybody portrayed Doink 
as effectively as Matt Bourne did. I mean, Steve Lombardi had his hand at it. You know, um, Kern had a shot. Ray Apollo had his turn. Did anybody do it as well? No one did it as well. The only one that I think that would have been qualified to do it as well would have been Steve Kern. Let's run through some quick match results here. On the December 6th Raw, Doink would defeat Tony DeVito, who many of us remember as a member of DeBaldi's from ECW. Uh, He got a win over Reno Riggins on Christmas Day on Superstars. He beat Dwayne Gill, who we would know as Gilberg, on the January 2nd, 94 edition of Wrestling Challenge. Uh, and let's get to Survivor Series 1993. The four doinks who turned out to be men on a mission and the Bushwhackers beat Bam Bam Bigelow, the Head Shrinkers, and Bastion Booger in about 11 minutes. What do you think of this match here? I thought it was nine minutes too long. It won the worst match of the year in the 1993 Observer Poll. So if you want to see the worst match of the year, go to Survivor Series 93 and check out Men on a Mission and the Bushwhackers. Taking on Bam Bam Bigelow, Head Shrinkers, and Bastion Booger. Who booked this shit? Well, see, here's here is what the problem became. Yes, we we own the Doink trademark. Yes, we own the look. We own the name and everything. We figured we could put somebody else behind the clown makeup and make this damn thing work. Unfortunately, what made Doink the evil clown work? was the man behind the makeup, and that was Matt Bourne, because he was truly a sadistic guy. His in-ring work was crisp. It was good. It was believable, and you believed that he could actually beat his opponent in wrestling. And he embraced being the clown. When you got to Ray Apollo and everybody else, they went all the way to the other side to being the clown. And the wrestling part of it was non-existent. It didn't, it didn't match. So now you went from a wrestling clown versus a clown wrestling, but you went from a wrestling clown to a clown. That makes any sense because they, they were just doing, they were more concerned about the haha stuff and doing all the other crap instead of being a sadistic great wrestler in the ring and being believable. So this is kind of fun. Matt Bourne was still using the doink gimmick on the indies, of course, before the WWF tries to shut him down, I'm sure. But he's wrestling uh, for the NWA PWA as doink, and he put over Hawk, which I think is kind of fun, since Hawk is the guy who's kind of credited with the idea. Uh, And the character doink is working house shows, mostly against Bam Bam Bigelow in December and January. Uh, Come Royal Rumble time. Doink enters the Royal Rumble match at number 14, but he's eliminated by Bam Bam Bigelow. And then Matt Osborne, the original Doink, debuts at the USWA television tapings on January 22nd, and he's got bleached blonde hair here. He's portraying a magician gimmick called the Great Mustafa. So he's got like a a pistol here that shoots a flame, and he's wearing a a cone-headed wizard hat. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, what's going down here. We, we get the introduction of Dink. So Doink and Dink are working Bam Bam and Luna in mixed tags on house shows in March. And they're doing this to kind of work out the kinks for WrestleMania 10, where we would see Bam Bam and Luna beat Doink, which is Ray Apollo and Dink in about six minutes. Meltzer would write, this was meant as a breather after the first match, but Bigelow and Doink worked hard and worked well together. Because of what they were following, they had a hard time getting heat. 
a lot better than their house show matches, star in three quarters. What can you tell us about Dink and these mixed tag matches? Did you hear what you said? Yes. I didn't say it. They were working out the kinks with Doink and Dink. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dink was a creation of uh, Lord Patrick Patterson. And Dink was portrayed by the French-Canadian Tiger Jackson, who was a little person. Great, tremendous uh, talent in the ring, and he had worked bald, um, bald guy. He had worked mainly in Canada. And Pat saw him one day and thought, oh, my God, wouldn't it be hilarious if Doink had a dink? and a little smaller version of the Doink character. And the next thing you know, we have Dink to come out because it was, we didn't, we didn't have, you know, Matt Bourne anymore. The Doink now needed something to, to compliment him and, and endear him to the audience a little bit more. So Doink and Dink worked out the kinks in the rink. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. March 28th Observer, we read that uh, Dennis Carluzzo and Mark Brody drew a, uh, or Mark Bodie drew a sellout of 1,650 folks on March 19th in Shenandoah, Pennsylvania, using Doink the Clown, which was Steve Kern, taking on Jerry Lawler as the headliner. So even months after you guys have sent these notices out, don't do Doink, they're still doing it. And uh, Doink is still working house shows on the main roster of the WWF as well against Jeff Jira in April, May, June, July, and August. Uh, Owen Hart would get a win over Doink on May 23rd. And at this point, it feels like Doink is kind of a forgettable character in the company. We get the first ever teaming of Doink and Doink taking place for the Century Wrestling Alliance in Melrose, Massachusetts, but the show only draws 55 fans as they defeat Knuckles Nelson and Suicide Samson. Of course, Doink and Doink here are Matt Bourne and Steve Kern. Was it just harder to police people working this gimmick kind of pre-internet here because they're just running around postering the town? Exactly. And you didn't, yeah, you didn't have the widespread internet to let you know what the hell was going on. And the advertisings were such that it was, it was a local thing. You didn't know where everybody was. And instead of going to, which I'm pretty sure we did on Kern's part, but in a lot of respects, sometimes they wouldn't go to the talent that was portraying the gimmick. They would go to the promoter that was promoting it. That's a one-off. That's a one-shot thing. Instead of going to the talent that was portraying it and saying, doing some kind of an injunction against them, they would just go after the promoters and try and stop them from advertising it. On August 8th, Bam Bam tags with IRS to defeat Tatanka and Doink. And then towards the end of the month, there is the NWA World Title Tournament for ECW, uh, August 27th, 1994. And famously, I think a lot of people have forgotten this, Matt Bourne was actually in that tournament, and he was pinned in about a minute against nine one one. He starts to wrestle uh, under the name Born Again, 
Meanwhile, in the WWF, Doink was still working house shows against Jeff Jarrett. Did you ever see uh, the Born Again character that he was trying to portray? Because he's got most of the Doink outfit on, but he'll take the mask off. Uh, and so he's just got a little bit of makeup on, but not much. Uh, and he's trying to do a totally different version of the character. Did you ever see Born Again? I did, and it was I actually half ass kind of liked it yeah. from the standpoint of it was unique. It was taking, it was taking a character that he really made and trying to evolve from it. I liked the concept of it. I, I really and truly did, but I was a big fan of Matt Bourne throughout his career. The September 19th observer would report the television commentary seems to hint of an eventual turn back by Owen Hart although not in the near future. And of course the face turn and split up of diesel and Shawn Michaels and that they've teased doing going back with Ted DiBiase. It may just be a tease. Was there some sort of conversation here of trying to turn doing heel again at this point? No, we think that ship had, had passed and I don't believe that anybody really felt that Ray had the chops to be that evil clown. He was, and plus, the character had taken that turn. It, it it was already too far down the road to be a cartoon gimmick and a fun gimmick and something that, unfortunately, you it was hard to take seriously. And maybe we had just kind of jumped the shark there. It was reported on the October 31st Observer that before a television taping, McMahon held a team meeting and makes all the wrestlers watch a tape of his interview with Chet Kopic, And he says that this is the party line and what you're supposed to say when interviewed. Uh, somehow the subject of kayfabing is brought up, and McMahon tells the boys that everybody needs to kayfabe more, which was maybe unintentionally hilarious, because somewhere in that same interview with Kopic, McMahon says even a seven-year-old would know Doink and Undertaker weren't real. After the video, they do a Q&A session, and Bret Hart somehow goes on a diatribe about how horrible it is that this meeting would be in the Observer, and then starts to complain about receiving bad match ratings. This was all printed in the Observer. Do you remember this meeting? Yeah, I, I do, and I, and I find it... Uh, is it ironic the right word that... That you Brett know, Brett, and, Brett and Meltzer were, were, were friends and, you know, hung out and, and things of that nature for him to be complaining about reading it in the observer. And, and then of course, just by saying that, and then, then like you say, yeah, complaining about, and only God, they only gave me four stars. That was a five-star match. And if it was in the Tokyo dome, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> And as far as the kayfabe thing, that's where guys get things misconstrued. Yes, a seven-year-old would know that The Undertaker and Doink and those guys are not real. What he meant by kayfabing is not to shove it in people's faces right? and come to the arena together, hugging and laughing and joking, walking in in their face, uh, hanging out together. You can be professional and just and try to kayfabe a little sure. bit. Those days are gone, over, dead, doesn't exist anymore. So when Matt Bourne 
is using the gimmick at the time. He's calling himself Doink the Born, and Steve Kern is wrestling as Doink the Kern. And uh, there's a rumor that Dusty Wolf has started to use the Doink gimmick on the Indies as well. So in 94, there's three different Doinks on the Indies, and one, of course, in the WWF. Well, that's about to change, because Doinkamania is running wild, brother. Survivor Series 94 is here, and we've got the Royal Family, which is Jerry Lawler with Queasy, Sleazy, and Cheesy. And they're going to beat Clowns R Us, which is Doink, Dink, Wink, and Pink, uh, in 16 minutes and 5 seconds, with uh, Lawler and Doink working the entire first fall uh, for about 10 and a half minutes. Meltzer wrote, it was all comedy, but that's using the term comedy very loosely. Lawler rolled through a crossbody using the tights to win the first fall. The next three falls saw... Dink, Wink, and Pink, in that order, get eliminated, largely with Lawler helping his midgets in all three falls. Um, he gave it negative two and a half stars, and he said that uh, they had the six midgets chase Lawler around the ring. What a pathetic sight it was uh, until Lawler ran up the aisle into a pie in the face from Doink. What do you think of this Matt Classic here? I don't know when we'll get to say... Queasy, sleazy, cheesy, dink, wink, and pink again. So, roll tight on that, I guess. Um. Well, worst match of the year in '94. You know what? W- would it have been worst match if it was in the Tokyo Dome? I don't know. It was. It was pretty damn bad. It was entertainment. It was ha ha. It was meant. It was meant to be a relief. It was meant to be okay, folks. Um. For those of you that, that want to laugh and just kind of get over it, this is it. Those of you that want popcorn, go get it. Uh, yeah. It won the uh, Observer Reader Poll for the worst match of the year. Doink and Lawler won the worst feud of the year. So Doink, hang on, hang on, let me get this straight. So Doink won worst match of the year two years in a row? Two years in a row. And this, wow. this year he wins uh, worst feud of the year with Lawler. But we're not done. He also won the Most Embarrassing Wrestler Award for 1994. Now, again, none of this is from Dave Meltzer. I know you're going to rant about that in a minute. These are the readers of the Wrestling Observer. People were not buying Doink. But at this point, it's not Osborne. It's a hodgepodge pair of characters. Uh, come Rumble 95, Doink comes in at number eight, and he's eliminated by... Do you remember? No. I'm going to call it Quang. There you go. I thought I like it. uh, Is it Quang or Quang? No, it's Quang. Okay, well, I always say it wrong. You always yell at me. Well, you're a damn Southerner. You should have the Ang part of it. Quang. All right, I got it. Okay. Uh, In March, Doink would be putting over uh, a newcomer named Henry Godwin uh, or Bob Backlund on the house shows. Uh, On May 8th, he loses to Jeff Jarrett by submission on Raw. And then in some house shows in May, Steve Lombardi is wrestling as Doink. And he's putting over a newcomer named Hakushi. Hypothetically, oh. if Hakushi's manager were to describe the win over Doink, because they probably had to wear the same makeup, right? What might that sound like? Uh, maybe uh, uh, Hakushi, maybe he uh, uh, beat the clown because the clown got a uh, uh, funny face. <laughs> I'm going to call it JJ. Maybe I'll give him that a finish. <laughs> In June, Doink is putting over a couple of newcomers. You crack yourself up. 
Hunter Hearst Helmsley and uh, Skip on the house shows. Let's get to June 26th in The Observer. Here's what Dave wrote. The AP ran a story on Matt Osborne being arrested on June 13th in his home in Youngstown, Ohio, and charged with assault and harassment in a domestic abuse case. He was released on a $1,000 bond. The same observer wrote, Doink was even doing jobs for Henry Godwin, so he's basically being kept around for marketing purposes and won't be bidding anyone at the shows. Um, at this point, this is kind of the end for Doink, right? I mean, are you guys out of ideas? It's out of steam. There's been so many different incarnations. You're just kind of finished with this at this point? It's... You've ever had a creation that that was you put a lot of thought into and you you start it and it and it takes off gangbusters and it's working and you're going yes oh my god and you think of all the different things you can do with it and all of a sudden the engine falls out and you've got to replace it with a new engine that's just not as good as the old engine it's not disappointing and after a while you just want to shoot it we have to mention this on an independent show for the NWC on June 24th, Cactus Jack put on a doink mask. Uh, well, he put a doink mask on Virgil and screamed over the PA. Welcome to the WWF, you clown, and wound up uh, hanging him with a bull rope. So lots of people in wrestling are having fun with this doink gimmick and the idea that there's a wrestling clown. The July 10th Observer reported the World Wrestling Federation filed suit this past week against Matt Osborne, 37, the original Doink the Clown. Titan is asking a federal judge to order Matt, who now lives in Elwood City, Pennsylvania, to stop using the Doink name and gimmick on independent shows. According to the lawsuit, Osborne, better known in his pre-Doink days as second-generation wrestler Maniac Matt Bourne, had promised Titan he would stop appearing as Doink, but had refused to put that in writing. Titan is claiming a trademark infringement because Osborne appeared as Doink, among other places, on April 21st in Elwood City, on March 17th near Pittsburgh in Plum High School. And Titan attorney Jerry McDivitt, who was quoted in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, said Titan would go to court if necessary against anyone using the Doink name and gimmick, which is probably the most popular name used by millions on the independent scene right now. So Titan was asking a federal judge to order Osborne to stop using the name and gimmick and to account for all the monies he may have earned since he left Titan using the gimmick. And uh, Meltzer kind of freestyles that his recent run-ins with the law may have been what prompted Titan to do this because they didn't want to be associated with that. Uh, as a reminder, in May, Osborne was arrested on charges of criminal mischief and disorderly conduct for vandalizing a car. And then the next month, he had a domestic issue in Elwood City. So, lots going on here. Um, not the best look for the company. And it makes sense that they want to distance themselves from someone who maybe has had some substance issue and, and is now running afoul with the law. I know that sometimes I, I say, oh, the company shouldn't have done that. But right here, this feels like it's necessary. Wouldn't you agree, Bruce? It is, and it's also the first step that, that was really necessary to try and combat all of these guys that are just putting on clown makeup and calling themselves Doink. Unfortunately for Matt, you know, it was a character that he was and that he really made famous, but it was a creation that we had, and it was a trademark that was owned by the WWF. 
So you have, you, at some point you have to put your foot down. And this, this was unfortunately it. And it was a, it was a rough time for Matt Bourne because he was going through so many issues, uh, with his ex-wife and, and it was, it was a rough time for Matt. The July 31st observer shows that the company, uh, maybe doesn't have the financial stability it once did because there's lots of shocks uh, in the wrestling world when a series of cuts are made from people they didn't expect to be cut. They include the barbarian, um, doink, dink, television announcer, Stephanie Wyand, Duke Drose, Tony Gurria, uh, King Kong Bundy, Hakushi, uh, Mantar, Heavenly Bodies, Techno Team 2000. All of these folks are either cut uh, completely or their schedule is reduced to the point that you know it's coming. And Meltzer writes that the only real surprises to him are Doink and Dink uh, just because it has been merchandised so heavily. So even though the character may have run its course, they have an active lawsuit with Matt Bourne, uh, and, and they're merchandising the devil out of it still. Was this a shock to you to see some of these guys being cut, or is it just one of those, as you say, simply one of those deals where you need to cut costs for the sake of the business? It was time to cut costs, and in regard to Doink and Dink, that's two plane tickets, that's two of everything. Uh, that was that was a package. That was an expensive package. It was time to cut. We had to cut the fat, and unfortunately, they were a part of that cut because they were an expensive duo. It's worth mentioning here that this is a time in the company where the, they're running shows in high school gyms and they're running uh, charity shows. So their B towns are in your high school. So guys like Doink, who at the time is Ray Apollo, and King Kong Bundy can still be phased down from the travel like you're talking about with the airplanes and such. But if they've got a date at a Pittsburgh area high school, then yeah, they could probably make that one and still technically be with the company. Sure. And that is something that, that we did with them. But you look at you look at the doink and dink package, the most attractive part of that package at this in this period in this time frame was dink. Right. So right. dink on his own wasn't an attraction without the doink and doink certainly wasn't an attraction at that point without dink. What do you do? So that's where we came up, you know, during this same time we, we did keep, or we brought tiger back and we used him as, uh, the macho midget and the, um, uh, what the hell did we call the, the Hulk, the little Hulkster. Same guy. Um, yeah, it was the same guy doing that and the masks and the different gimmicks. August 14th, 1995, Waylon Mercy would defeat Doink by submission. We haven't talked about Waylon Mercy a lot. Uh, you want to give us a, a quick Waylon Mercy story? Know what I mean? Um, Waylon Mercy was portrayed by Dan Spivey legitimately, another legitimate tough guy. And when you throw those names out there, Haku and Dan Spivey, I, I would throw Haku and Dan Spivey kind of in the same category. Really? But, oh yeah. Danny's badass. Legit badass. And had a lot of substance abuse pro uh, problems throughout his career and throughout his life and has really turned his life around now to where he's actually, he's helping people 
with substance abuse problems and has a, a great business and is credited for saving a lot of lives and doing a lot of uh, really, really good stuff. Smart guy, sweetheart of a guy, but you would never, ever, ever want to get on his bad side. He's another one that used to like to hook an eyeball here and there. Oh, so there you go. October 16th, Hunter Hearst Helmsley would defeat Doink on Raw. Uh, they did a show in uh, February of 96 in India, and Doink would beat Zip there. And sometime during the early summer 96, Doink was no longer used on television for the WWF. But Doinkomania was still running wild on the indies. Do you remember when and where and how the plug was officially pulled on Doink? It feels like it just faded away. But do you remember there being a moment where you guys kind of drew the line in the sand? That's it. No more Doink. <laughs> no, it just kind of faded away. He was, he was local. And so from time to time to save on trans, we would use him, but he, yeah, he just kind of faded away. Uh, we should mention that the character doing the gimmick would be brought back periodically over the years. Uh, the slammy awards, the night before WrestleMania 13 doing was in the crowd shooting water at people. And uh, when Steve Austin walked off the stage after winning a Slammy, he shot water at Austin, and Austin attacked him. Who was playing Doink that night? Was that Brawler? That was Brawler. Uh, on March 26, 2001, Chris Jericho would dress as Doink and jump out of the crowd and attack William Regal. At WrestleMania 17, uh, Doink participated in the Gimmick Battle Royal. Who was doing the Gimmick Battle Royal that night? That was Ray Apollo, I believe. I, because I think we, we had Brawler as Brawler, and I think we actually brought in Ray to do the Doink gimmick. Uh, at Vengeance 2003, Eugene would appear in the APA Barroom Brawl, which I'm sure we'll cover at some point, but he was wearing a Doink mask. And uh, I guess we should mention that uh, Chris Benoit defeated Doink, who was Eugene, on July 31st, 2003. On SmackDown, Eugene as Doink, Nick Dinsmore as Doink. Um, I wanted to bring back, you, you know, go back and, and look at, we were going to bring back the character Doink the Clown. And I touched on this, uh, recently with Glenn Ruth, who was one of the headbangers. And he was going to be Doink the Clown, DTK Enterprises. And it was going to be, Clown with a K, because right. that's, of course, that's how you, you're supposed to spell it. You're supposed to screw up the spelling in wrestling. And he was going to be Doink the Clown. But if there was any, if, if you were to ask me, uh, you asked me, well, you did. You said, who else could have pulled that off the right way that we envisioned the gimmick from the beginning? Nick Dinsmore as Doink the Clown. I believe that Nick Dinsmore could have pulled that gimmick off. Almost as well as Matt Bourne. Not the same, but Nick was a good Doink the Clown. Nick could have been a great Doink the Clown, in my opinion. I don't think Nick Dinsmore gets enough love from wrestling fans these days. Uh, you know, it was a silly gimmick, but he got it over. He did, and he, he put everything into it and made it work. Great teacher, too, by the way. Unfortunately, Matt Osborne passed away on July 28, 2013 in Plano, Texas. Uh, the cause of death was determined to be an overdose of morphine and hydrocodone. Uh, he had heart disease, and uh, that was uh, believed to play a factor in his death, of course. 
And in June 2015, a wrongful death lawsuit was filed against the WWE, alleging that, quote, WWE created a culture of violence and sacrificed Matthew Osborne's brain for its own profit, which led to further illnesses and injuries, including depression and drug abuse, which ultimately resulted in his untimely death. The WWE's attorney, Jerry McDivitt, said the suit was without merit and blamed the attorneys for taking advantage of the families involved. Suit was filed by Michelle James, the mother of two of Osborne's four children, and was litigated uh, by an attorney who the WWE had already been familiar with in a number of other lawsuits. Ultimately, this was dismissed by uh, a district judge, uh, Vanessa Lynn Bryant, who ruled that they had failed to show his death was linked to CTE, which was kind of the crux of the whole thing. Uh, Doink was a downloadable character in SmackDown versus Raw 2009, and that's the last game he appeared in. But you can still make him in WWE 2K18, I'm sure. I know this is kind of a silly question, Bruce, but I feel like we should ask it because it, it did make an impact. We know there were several Doinks. Do you think the Doink character should ever be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame? That's a tough one. I, I think that. Unfortunately, who would who would accept it? That that's well, you know, yeah. Who, I mean, that's a great question because I don't know is is it just going to be you know the widow of of Osborne? Is it going to be Ray Apollo? Is it would it be Lombardi? Would it be Kern? Is it all of them? It, you know, is there a way to induct a character that wasn't just really one guy? Because it feels you know like, what you just said something interesting there. Would it be all of them? Yeah, and and that could be. Could you imagine we're gonna in induct doink the clown yeah and out comes kern out comes brawler out comes uh god tony DeVito did it um out comes nick dental all the different ones in doink get up and they all accept it um i think that the character is hall of fame worthy i don't know that the individuals that portrayed it for for their doink portrayal. Uh, I don't know, but I think that the character is definitely hall of fame worthy. Well, I had fun talking about doink the clown here and we want you to be involved in the conversation. Uh, so we want you to go ahead and cruise over to Facebook and whatever wins the poll this week, first of all, you should vote in the poll. Uh, one of our best polls ever, but whatever wins, we're going to ask you, Hey, do you have a question? Cause we'd love to, you know, answer those for you right here on the show. So, Bruce, let's rapid fire a few questions about Doink the Clown. Are you ready? I'm ready. Um, <laughs> the first one I'll pull up, I can't even read. I'm I, I'm not doing that. Uh, let me find another one here. God, thank you. Um, you won't read it. It's got to be bad. It is. Brian Myers wants to know, who was more over, Dink or Hornswoggle? Hornswoggle. <laughs> um, who were the top three Doinks, in your opinion? Matt Bourne. Steve Kern and um, uh, Nick Densmore. Uh, what was it like backstage with Doink and Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Any interesting stories? We get the, we got this question a lot because I guess Matt had a problem with Hacksaw on an indie shot, and I know you weren't there. Did you hear about that? I yeah, I've actually seen it and and, and heard about it, but I think that they're the issues, and I don't know what they are. But I think that they were some personal issues dating back 
way, way long before my time. Uh, who was the worst doink? The worst doink was, hmm. Well, DeVito was bad. I saw a guy, somebody sent me something from an, they called him the Alabama doink. I love you. Yes. The Alabama worst doink, doink in the history of, of the, that was absolutely abominable. <laughs> Go out of your way. Throw in your Google machine, kids. Alabama doink. It's worth checking out. Were any of in the front boys, of the Golden Corral. Were any of the boys scared of clowns? Um, Regal. No, Regal was afraid of midgets. Regal wasn't afraid of clowns. Afraid Regal of, didn't like small people. He was afraid of Dink then. Uh, was there an angle or a feud pitched that you loved for Doink, but it just never came to fruition? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to work with Undertaker. Oh, my gosh. What, what, why did that get shot down? I assume this would have been 93. Why did that get shot down? Well, because it just was the, the timing of losing uh, – Matt Bourne and him being over, you know, so popular that everything that he was doing with baby faces, we didn't want him turning baby face on undertaker. Uh, there's here's a great question from Brad Jones on an episode of superstars or challenge around doinks debut. Vince growled and discussed, look at how yellow his teeth are. Was the yellow teeth comment a part of the doing character or was Vince making legit comments about Bourne's dental hygiene? No, he was making him a heel. You have that white, you know, uh, white face. No matter how white your teeth on, they will pale in comparison to, you know, white makeup like that. Yeah. And heels don't brush your heels don't brush your teeth. Uh, was motherfucker. (laughs) Thank you. Was uh, it never gets old to you, Bruce? By the way, kids, I love that I can see you and you, you start, you, you wait for me. Is he done? Is he done? Okay. He's not going to interrupt me now. And I see you go in for the, and then it's jump on me. Motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) So in case you're not familiar, kids, I've got 30 pages of notes at all times and I'm trying to keep us organized and on track. So I'm paying attention very intently to my screen, but not the video of Bruce. And Bruce is just kicked back in his easy chair, not reading shit, just looking at me. I don't have it to read. So he just waits on (laughs) on any opportunity to embarrass me or step on me or squish (laughs) me. And uh, he tickles himself. So kudos to you, Bruce. Um, Dave Grant wants to know. Thank you. Was Matt Bourne a big river backstage? Did he have heat with anyone that you know of? No, and Matt Matt was kind of laid back, and, and he he had kind of a sick sense of humor. But I I don't know if he really was a river or not. I could I could see that I could see him being a river, but I I don't remember anything off the top of my head. Nash had some sort of incident with Matt Bourne uh, in more recent years, prior to you know his untimely demise. But it came from the fact that Nash said wrestling is fake. And he did this in a shoot interview where he was just being honest about the business and people who maybe took it a little too seriously. And he said something like, you know, it's fake, right? And Matt Bourne took great issue with this being a second generation wrestler. He didn't like that F word. Do you think this was him trying to work a gimmick for an independent payday? Or was there, in your opinion, some sort of legitimate heat between the two? 
Well, I could see Matt definitely taking exception with the F word. I hate the F word too. Wrestling's not fake. It's right. it's entertainment and what the guys do is is real. I mean, they take real punishment and I just I hate that description. Matt was a proud second generation wrestler. That's how he made his entire living. Is a kid, his dad protected the business at all costs. So he took offense to that. And I could see Matt having legitimate hard feelings for uh, somebody like Kevin Nash using the, the F word. Did anybody ever ask to play Doink who was turned down? Did anybody come up and say, man, I really want to do this? No, no. I mean, we, we had our Doinks. We had the kind of go-to guys. And when Apollo finished up, we knew we always had a Brooklyn Brawler there. So we were set with Doinks. Did you prefer Doink as a baby face or a heel? Heel all the way, every day. Was there ever any consideration when he came in so hot to making Doink a title holder? Not necessarily a title holder, but a title contender without a doubt, yes. Uh, did Doink have a low-key big hog? I don't know what you're saying right now. <laughs> um. What do you think Doink's legacy is going to be in professional wrestling? Like now that it's all said and done, you know, Doink is, is, uh, dead and we're not going to see that character again. And unfortunately we're not going to see Matt Bourne again. What do you think Doink's legacy in wrestling will be? And what do you think Matt Bourne's legacy in wrestling will be? Well, I'll answer the first part. Uh, Matt Bourne's legacy will be Doink the clown. Um, in my opinion, because I think that, he brought life to a, to a great character and he made it believable and he made it everything that it could be. That's what I think about uh, Matt Bourne. I think doink the character overall is going to go down as, is one of the greatest gimmicks in the wrestling business. It's one of the best gimmicks of all time. Uh, and it's, it's super hilarious. If you're going to go out of your way to see Alabama doink at the golden corral, throw it in your Google machine. Uh, oh my God. That was, come on. Where, whereabouts in Alabama did that take place? Man, I don't remember, but I, I just can say that, you know, at least we got football, right? Maybe we don't have the best independent wrestling. We've got some good indie promoters here in the state. That match in particular maybe isn't reflective of that, but at least we've still got football and we've got next week. Uh, I know Doink was kind of a controversial topic. Not a lot of people wanted to see Doink, but then he won overwhelmingly this week and we want to give you what you want next week. It's our best poll ever. It's Bret Hart. It's The Rock. It's Shawn Michaels. It's Diesel. And it's here next week. Go vote right now. Spread the word. We're cutting the voting off right before Raw. You can vote one place and one place only. It's Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. Hit the like button while you're there. We're getting ever so closer to a bonus episode where we're going to cover SummerSlam 1991. You don't want to miss it. There's so much controversy around that show. You've got the Warrior holdout for money. You've got the Mountie match. You've got the big gold belt debuting on WWF pay-per-view. It's a big deal. You don't want to miss it. And all you've got to do is go like us on Facebook right now. Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. Please follow me on Twitter. I'd love to interact with you. And we're out of time. We got all our plugs in. We got all our gimmicks in. Go get your vote in right now. Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. Thank you for listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. 
If you would like to advertise to the hundreds of thousands of wrestling fans who tune in each and every week, find out what our advertisers already know, that something to wrestle with is the best bang for your buck in podcast advertisement. Contact me, Matt Kuhn, at Matt at MattKuhn.com. That's M-A-T-T at M-A-T-T-K-O-O-N dot com. We'd love to get you on the air and introduce you to your new customers. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.